0: Good morning. Great to see you, isn't it? Pretty incredible. I just want to say, real quick, what an honor it is to be here at First Baptist. Not just this morning, but as a family. We're going to be talking about legacy this morning. And what that means, what that looks like in our own personal lives. But as I look back through my life and look at how God has shaped and molded, not just me, but the things around me, and the people that He's put in my life and placed in my life at certain points, it's no accident that that we're here right now. It's not an accident. God knew exactly what he was doing and when he was going to do it. You can relate to that in your own personal lives, and I hope that you enjoy having us here. I know my family surely en- enjoys being here, and, and our boys, and I- I've told you guys the story about us looking for a church during that transition time, and oh, it was just, it was rough. Our boys just did not. We, we we found a church that we thought, man, this is where we need to be. It was an incredible church. Loved the pastor, loved the people, knew a lot of people that went there, and our boys just did not adjust. We go through the whole spiel with people here asking us to come here and for me to serve as, as your student pastor part-time, and, and I told them no on several occasions. We come and visit, and what do you know, our boys just... I, I, you get me, I mean, I, I just didn't make any sense, but it's how God works. You look at the, the guys that were sitting back here, and there were multiple that didn't want to sit up here. They, they like sitting where you're at. But I told them, I said, guys, you have the easy part. You can just move your lips... And they'll never know if you're singing or not. That's what I do. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's what I do half the time, especially if there's somebody beside me that's not singing as loud, then I have to just dial it down a little bit so I don't sing over them. Uh, You can tell Graham he has his mom's vocals, not mine. (laughs) Uh, He loves to sing. I'm not going to teach him how to sing, all right? But I told him, I said, you have the easy part. I have the hard part. Because I get to stand up and and proclaim God's word to you. And and I enjoy that. So sitting in the youth room before the service, I told him, I said, I'm more nervous for you. And I said, probably more for Cade and Paul than I was for anybody else. Because I had no idea how that was going to go. But they did a great job. They did. They did a great job. I mean, anytime you turn Paul and Cade loose to do something. hmm. But hey they did a fantastic job and Mally as well and God's girls I mean across the board just sets the tone sets the mood for how worship's supposed to be this is worship what we're fixing to do is just as important as what we've already done and that's to study and learn from God's word now listen I'm not going to tell you anything deep theologically or philosophically I'm not I just want to talk to you this morning about what it means to leave a lasting legacy. A lasting legacy. So I want you to hang on to that thought for a moment. When you hear that word, when you think about a legacy, what do you think about? What do you think about when you hear the word legacy? Now I want you to turn to Mark chapter 12. And this morning, as we kind of celebrate uh, a Youth Sunday, we have our students up here leading the worship service. I've told you this before, I'm going to say it again. I think we have done a fantastic job of telling students in a bad way what they can't do. Whether we've meant to or not, we've done a great job of telling them what they can't do. We've done a horrible job of telling them what they can do. What you just allowed our students to do and experience was hey, I can do this. I can be an integral part of a Sunday morning worship service at my church. I hear all the time this generation's the future, right? Right? They're, they're, they're the, the next leaders of the church. What are we doing as a church to make sure we equip them to be those leaders? Because if we do nothing, you know what the end result's going to be. Can't tell you how many statistics and how many studies have been done about high school students and college students when they graduate and they move on. Guess what? There's one thing they don't hold on to. That's their faith in their church. What are we doing to make sure that... What are we doing? I hope that we're leaving a lasting legacy. Mark chapter 12, just a couple of verses I want to read to you this morning. Chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. And he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Watch Jesus' response. The most important one? It's it's kind of like, you know, when your kids come up to you and they ask you a question and and you know that they're not going to like the answer that you're going to give them, right? And you go, you really want me to answer that question? Because you're not going to like the answer. So Jesus says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this day. We thank you most of all for your love, for your grace, for your mercy that we have and that we've experienced through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus. God, may we today, as we've opened up your Word and we study it, may we take it, may you cement it in our hearts this morning, That God, we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers. That we would take this and that we would use it to bring honor and glory to your kingdom. God, help us. We need you this morning. More than ever, God, show us what it means to be men and women of faith. Men and women who strive and who desire daily. To leave a legacy worth leaving. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What does legacy mean to you? You can think back over your life. Whether you're 15, whether you're 40, whether you're 80. You can look back over your life and you can think of the people who have helped shape And mold who you are today. And those people that have made a lasting impression on your life, who have helped shape the legacy that you are one day going to leave. Here's a fact whether you like it or not, whether you want to or not, guess what? You will leave a legacy. It may be good, it may be bad. But a legacy is what people remember about you when you're gone. What will be said of you when you're gone? It may be this afternoon. It may be tomorrow. It may be years down the road. But what will be said of you when you're gone? What kind of legacy will you leave when you're gone? Now, did you guys a favor again this Sunday, right? Some of you may like it. Some of you may not. I don't know. I hope you like it. But in your bulletin, there's an insert on the back of Hosanna. You got a little fill in the blank. And we're going to fill these in for all of you uh, OCDers and type A personalities. We will fill these in. Don't, you don't have to get ahead of me. I will give you the answers to put in the blanks. Here's the first one. Jesus, a legacy. Jesus modeled this perfectly in his life. He had more influence in the world than any individual in history. He didn't leave a legacy of money, property, or power. So when we think about legacy, there's no greater person to learn from than Jesus himself. He had the single greatest influence of anyone in the history of mankind. Boy, what a legacy. What a legacy. Who better to learn from than Jesus himself? I look back over my life and I think about the people that have helped shape and mold me and who have have given me a vision to look at my life and to know that every decision that I make not only directly affects me, but it affects everybody around me. And I'm daily reminded of this one simple fact, that I'm one decision, one decision from being in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, we look at the people on the news and we look at the people that have, have made those decisions and we want, to, we want to just throw them out and, and, and make them an outcast and, and single them out and, and, and look down on them. But I'm daily reminded that, guess what? I'm one bad decision from being right where they're at. And guess what? That's going to be a part of my legacy. Whether I want it to be Not Jesus modeled what a legacy should look like in our lives. I found this: Dennis Patterson's an author and, and has a radio show, and he said this about a legacy: looking at our culture and our generation today, everywhere I turn, I see deception and distortion in all areas of our legacy. Truth is thought by many to be ambiguous, changeable, and irrelevant. Mm. Character so compromised that it seems normal when we don't even trust ourselves. Man. Education so corrupted and politically correct that the basic life skills are marginalized and history is rewritten. Health and wellness is failing badly as nature is ignored in favor of synthetic remedies and even synthetic foods. Wealth is perverted by forgetting the purpose of it to establish godly influence in human lives. And influence has become more about buying power than leading others to discover the truth. I couldn't have said that any better. When I found that, I had to share that with you. That's the world that we live in. That's the world that we live in. What is legacy? Is it about fame? Is it about power? Is it about materialistic things? No. Do you know what? The Bible says that all that will fade away. All that is going to perish. What's going to be said of you? Well, you want to talk about life changing? Those of you that have kids, you remember that day. You remember that day. Buddy, that's life changing. And your life flashes before your eyes. And I'm going to tell you what I look back over my life, and as a high school student, as a college student, I was a clown. I was a clown. I was a joke. I was. I thought I had it all together. I thought I had it all figured out. I was a clown. So when I got married and, and, and Graham came along, our, our first son, buddy. I was so scared that in the delivery room all I could do was watch Sports Center. I was scared out of my mind. I had no idea what I was doing. And I had it planned out. I was going to be 25 years old, have first kid. I mean, it was planned out, and I was scared out of my mind because I realized right then what my parents realized 25 years before—that every decision that they made, everything that they instilled in me, guess what? That had a part in shaping who I am and that legacy that I would leave. You know, my parents had one of the single greatest impacts on my life that that anyone could. My dad taught me so many values and so many characteristics about what it means to be a man that that there's not enough money in the world to pay them for the things that they've taught me. We're going to be talking about loving God and loving others. My mom and dad have taught me what it means to love God and love others. My mom's one of the nicest, sweetest ladies that you'll ever find in the entire world. She's never said a bad thing about one single person. She is the epitome of what it means to love others, no matter who you are or where you come from. My dad taught me what it means to work hard. Even when you may get undercut, By the person you're doing the job for, you do the job anyway because that's what you're supposed to do. And they have to lay their heads down at night just like you do. And if they can lay their heads down at night with a clear conscience, then that's on them. That's between them and God. Now, my dad and I butt heads on that subject, and that's the reason why I bring that up. But that's the kind of guy my dad is. I look at Kenny and Lynn, and Kenny and Lynn have had, a, have, had a, have had a tremendous impact and influence on my life. I listen to the messages that, that he preaches, and even last week or the week before, talking about clear, clearing your plate. I'll never forget the first time that I ate lunch with Kenny and Lynn. I was with Caleb, and we'd been working out and doing baseball stuff, and we came in for lunch, and Lynn had fixed lunch, and when Kenny eat lunch, eats lunch, he doesn't eat a sandwich and chips like normal people, All right. I mean, it's like ham or fried chicken and three vegetables, kind of lunch. And then he goes back out in 90-degree weather and works. That's not my idea of, of lunch. Well, anyway, we're sitting there eating, and, and, and I didn't grow up with a, a, a three-course meal like that. So we're eating, and there was something on my plate that, that I don't even remember. It was like green peas or something. Teenage boy, I didn't eat green peas. And Kenny looks at me, and he tells me, you going to eat that? And I said, no, sir. And he didn't make me eat it. He actually grabbed it and ate it for me <laughs> so I could get up and go. <laughs> I'll never forget that. But even, even beyond that, the way that Kenny has, has mentored me and, and been a, a huge part of my life as a pastor there's one thing that you'll know about that man right there is that he doesn't care what you think about him. Guess what? He's going to be Kenny Owen. Because that's who God's called him and created him to be. That's the single greatest legacy that you can live or leave in your life for your kids. Is that no matter where you're at, no matter what you've been through, your your children know that you're real. That you're real. And you're not going to change who you are or what you're about just because of the people that you're around or the influence or impact that they have on your life. A legacy. It's a twofold approach to life you love God, you love others. Jesus was the perfect example of what it meant to love God and love others the first point I wanted to bring out this morning was that we must love God completely we must love God completely what is the greatest commandment what is the greatest commandment if you flip back over to Exodus chapter 20 what's there the ten commandments right And if you look and and read the Ten Commandments, and and you try to break those down into who and what they apply to, the first four apply to our relationship with God. And then the last six apply to our relationship with man. Right? And so when the question is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, well... It's twofold, really. There's, they, they both go hand in hand. You have to love God completely. And you have to love others as yourself. There's a good example of this in Mark chapter 10. Everybody knows the story. You may not. The story of the good Samaritan. I mean, I'm sorry. The, the, the rich young ruler. In Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler, he comes up to Jesus and he falls down on his knees and he goes, Jesus, what must, what can I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins to go through the the Ten Commandments, a couple of the Ten Commandments. Do not murder, you must not covet, and on and on and on. And the young man, kind of gratified, down on his knees, looks up at Jesus and goes, I've done those things. I've I've done those things. And then Jesus goes, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back home and I want you to sell all of your possessions. And once you've sold all of your possessions, I want you to follow me. And it was as if Jesus had ripped his heart and his soul out and he walked home confused. He walked home let down, depressed. You see, the reason why was because his, his idea of following Jesus was warped. You see, he had it here, but not here. And I'm afraid if we're not careful, we're raising a generation that's going to have it here but they're going to miss it here. And if that's the case, we're in trouble. The church as a whole, I'm not talking about just Westminster, all right? I'm not talking about just First Baptist in this city. I'm talking about the church. We've missed the mark. But Jesus tells him, you must go and sell everything that you own and follow me. You see, his identity, everything that he knew, everything that he was about was wrapped up in his fame, in his power, in his money. And Jesus says, that's, you've missed the mark. You have to love God completely and love others as yourself. The P there on your notes is we must be passionate about God. We must be passionate about God. I love to be around people that are passionate about what they're doing. You know, I said in high school, they, they do these goofy things your senior year, where you know they snap your picture, and you know as a senior in high school you're not supposed to smile, right? Because that's just not the cool thing to do. But then they ask you for a quote. Right? To put under your senior picture. I have no idea why I said this or wrote this down to be my quote, but I've hung on to it ever since. Why do something if you don't love it? Now, that's not a free pass to go tomorrow and quit your job because you hate your job. I'm not saying that at all. All right? I'm just simply saying, why are you doing something if you don't love it? I get there are responsibilities. you You have to put food on the table. You have to take care of your family. I get that. But guess what? You can do something that you love and do that at the same time. Little did I know that I would be able to do something that I love, that I'm passionate about. I love being around people that are passionate about what they do. But guess what? I love even more being around people that are passionate about God and they love doing what God's called them to do. You see, passion can't be fabricated. It can't be forged. You can't fake passion. You either are or you're not passionate about something. So you either are or you're not passionate about God. So it comes to this whole idea of loving God completely. You're either passionate about it, and you're passionate in your relationship with Christ, or you're not. The second is we have to be dependent on God through prayer. We're going to be talking about prayer tonight. One thing I love about our students is they're not afraid to tackle the hard issues, the hard questions, the hard topics. I I put out a little survey, if you will, several months ago. And in that survey, I, I asked the question, what about the Bible? Is there a topic? Is there a book? Is there a chapter that you would love to study or know more about? Guess what they put? About 80% of our students, guess what they put? The book of Revelation. Now some of y'all are smiling, some of y'all kind of cringed. Some of you are thinking, what are they thinking? But the book of Revelation. They want to know about the end times and what what is that what does it mean? What is it going to happen? What is it going to look like? And so we've been walking through the book of Daniel, because I think that's where we needed to start. And so tonight we're going to be walking through Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to be talking about Daniel's prayer as it relates to the end times and Daniel's experiences during that time. So we've been talking about prayer A good bit. What does your prayer life look like? How do you pray? How should we pray? Are you dependent upon God only in your time of need? Or in all circumstances and situations, in all walks of life, are you dependent upon God? The third thing is submissive to His will. Submissive to God's will. I think in order to love God completely, all right, in order to love God completely, we have to have passion, we have to be dependent upon God, and we have to be submissive. You see, Jesus, here's the question. If you don't like the answer, don't ask the question, basically. This is what it boils down to with the rich young ruler. He asked the question and Jesus gave him an upfront answer a realistic answer if you want to inherit eternal life here's what you must do that's what I love about Kenny and Lynn that's what I love about other people in my life is they're transparent this is what you get this is who we are and this is what you get Jesus was completely transparent with a rich young young ruler and he told him you must sell everything that you have everything that you have And follow me. And it set him back. Because he wasn't expecting that answer. Now I'm not saying that we're to go home today and we're we're to put everything that we own on eBay or Craigslist. And sell it all. all Alright? I'm not saying you have to sell your home. Okay? I'm not saying that you go into work at 8 a.m. in the morning and you hand in your slip. Of resignation. I'm not saying that at all. That's not at all what I'm saying. I am saying this. When it comes to loving God completely, you have to be passionate. And others have to see that passion in you. You have to be totally dependent on who God is and who He says He is and what He says He's going to do in and through you. And you have to be submissive to that. I told you, coming here it was not a part of our plans. It was not in the cards. wasn't even a thought. But guess what? This was God's will. We firmly believe this was God's will. There was a, a, a quote in... The Stand Firm, several days ago, seems like it was Richard Cook or uh, somebody Cook. Anyway, he said, if you can explain the work that God's doing in your church, then God's not in it. If you can explain the work that God's doing in your church, then God's not in it. I think that applies to our lives as well. If we can explain what God is doing in and through our lives, then guess what? There's a good chance God's not in it. I hope there are areas and avenues in our lives where we can step back and we can look and we can go, you know what, I really can't explain that. I I really cannot put my finger on that one. It's just, it's God. Did it make sense? No. Did it look right? No. It was God. Here's the second thing that I wanted to share with you we must love others. Now, this is tough. This is tough. And especially for the Pharisees and the men of the law back then, loving God, man, they had that down pat. They could do that all day long. But when it came to crossing gender and racial lines of loving others, loving people who didn't look like them, who didn't talk like them, who didn't have the same educational background as them, who didn't have the same financial background as them, who didn't live in the same homes, who didn't ride the same donkeys... Mm-mm. Wasn't happening. They wanted to love their families and their closest friends in their circles, and that was it. But that wasn't what Jesus was talking about, and I don't think that's what God intended when He wrote the Ten Commandments. We must love others completely. It's tough tough people cross us people hurt us and people deliberately try to hurt us sometimes But you know what God calls us to love them anyway here are a couple of things I wanted to point out the P under we must love others completely is patience whoo whoo Patience. Talking about leaving a legacy, many of you know my dad, and my dad owns a construction company. He lays brick and block, and, and all of my life, that's all my dad has, has ever done. That's all I've ever known. Had one of my aunts tell me, just a side note, at Christmas, she said, Mac, I never thought I would see you with a full beard. Guess you are taken after your dad. I've never seen my dad without a beard. I'm 29 years old. Never seen him without a beard. My dad lays brick and block, and so it was, it was a standard in my home, at home, that when I was not in school, guess what? I was working. It wasn't an option. It was understood that if I didn't have a ball game or wasn't playing sports, even on Fridays after football games, I'd get in at midnight. Guess what? Saturday, I was working. I remember just through pictures, going to work with my dad when I was a young kid. And I have two brothers that are six years older, seven years older than I am. And one hates to work, one loves to work. And they were probably, I don't know, 10, 11. And my dad was working on a job. And I noticed, or my dad noticed, that he kept seeing one of my brothers, Nick, constantly. But he never saw Frankie. And he thought, something's not right. Nick would would grab as many brick as he could at 11 years old, and he would bring them and and set them down where my dad was. But he noticed it was always Nick, never Frankie. So he walked around the corner, and my brother and Frankie was sitting on the brick, and he was handing them to Nick so Nick could take them around to my dad. Well, I had this little shovel. It was about this big, you know, at, at five and, and I could carry one brick at a time, and I could shovel about this much of mud, mortar mix, at a time. Yesterday, Sandra says that I, I love to work on just busy projects, just whatever to keep me busy. And obviously we have two boys, and so they want to be with me. A five-year-old and a two-year-old with brick and mortar mix is not a good combination, So we mixed the mortar mix up yesterday and Graham has the hose pipe and Grady's sticking his hands in the mortar mix and Graham wants to lay a brick. So he gets his little trowel and he just, you know, throws the mortar mix down on the wall and sets the brick down. God's teaching me patience through our five-year-old and two-year-old because they want to do everything that I do and they want to go everywhere that I go. Patience is hard to come by. It's very hard to come by. So even when people in our lives, they maybe trip us up, they may try to deliberately hurt us, or laugh at us when we fall, guess what? God's called us to love them. God's called us to love them. Whether we want to or not, God's called us to love them. I don't understand it completely. I don't claim to. I don't claim to know it all. But guess what? God does, and God's called us to love them. The second one, sacrifice. Philippians two, chapter four, or chapter two, verse four says, "Not looking to your own interests, but but each of you, to the interest of others." Basically, Paul's saying there. That we're not to look after our own interests, but we're to look after the interests of others. That we're to put ourselves in the line of fire if that's what it calls for, for the well-being of others. That's another one. It's hard to swallow. It's hard to wrap our minds around. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about putting others before yourself. We share stories all day long about people that we know that have sacrificed their own lives, sacrificed their own well-beings for my well-being, for your well-being. I want to share this this comment with you that that has really rattled my cage over the last two weeks. I had a guy tell me two weeks ago, Mac, how many people today are lost, dying, going to hell because of your lack of vision? How many people did you come in contact today, did, did, did you come into contact with today that you did not share the love of Christ with because of your lack of vision and because of that they're lost dying and going to hell you see we we look at people and, and we put them in categories we want to love our family we want to love our closest circle of friends but anybody that doesn't fit that mold that doesn't fit that criteria guess what we put them over here And say, let somebody else worry about them. Let somebody else deal with them. And that's not what God's called us to. God's called us to sacrifice. God's called us to step out of our comfort zone. Just as He did Himself in sacrificing His own life for our well-being, for our salvation. So should we sacrifice our own well-beings for the well-being of others, if that means sharing the gospel with them. And then the last thing, all that you have. I know these don't fit, you know, real neat and nice. This is just what God's laid on my heart. All that you have. You know, there's there's a story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, and, and the story goes. That, that Jesus is confronted with the same idea. What what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and he goes through the scenario of you've got to love God and love others. And this teacher says, well, yeah, I, I get that. I understand that. I've done that. But he goes a little farther, Jesus does, and he shares this story of the Good Samaritan. And a man's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, Right? And Jesus lays out the scenario of three people that pass by. As he's walking through from Jerusalem to Jericho, he walks through a rough town. And he ends up getting beat, mugged, and robbed. And three people walk by him. And the first two people that Jesus mentions, the, the, the men standing there that Jesus is sharing this story with, they would assume that those two people of, of the three would be the two that would stop. And guess what? as they approach the man they cross the road they pass by and didn't stop but the third man the most unlikely of the three which is who we know as the good samaritan guess what he stops he not only stops he puts the man on his donkey carries him to an inn and he tells the innkeeper hey listen whatever it cost he didn't give him a budget He didn't give him line items. He said, whatever it costs tomorrow, I will come back and I will pay you. And I will will make the bill right with you. You see, that that, that good Samaritan didn't ask for what happened to him. It just happened. Laying there dying, watching people walk by, had to have been heartbreaking. And the Good Samaritan approaches him, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, and pays the bill. How many people do we walk by, do we see every single day that we know are dying? Spiritually. They're destined for hell without Jesus. And yet when we approach them, when we see them, we cross the road and we walk down the other side of the road. That's not patience. That's not sacrifice. And that's not giving God all that we are and all that we have. The last two fill in the blanks that you've got at the bottom are, what we are determines what we do. What we are determines what we do. And then lastly, the way we love others will show how we love God. Boy, what isn't it tragic? Is it not tragic that in our, our everyday week-to-week life, maybe we're in conversation with somebody? And they go, I can't believe so-and-so attends church on Sunday. I can't believe so-and-so attends or goes to that church and claims to be a Christian. Because, buddy, they sure don't act like it. They sure don't exemplify it. The way we love others will show how we love God. So our students today, Youth Sunday, the service being led by our students today, here's what I'd love to say to them. I don't want to muddy the water. I don't want to make things worse than they already are. I think so often we do a good job of, of that, a better job than we should. When we just simply need to make things more simplistic... By saying this. You want to leave a lasting legacy? You want to make a difference in this world? Here's what you do. You love God. You love others completely. That's it. That's it. You love God and you love others completely. And He'll take care of the rest. Would it make a difference if you learned you had very little time left, if you knew today that you only had a few days, a few weeks, maybe a few months left, would it make a difference? Would it change your priorities? We're all running out of time. And the opportunity to leave a lasting legacy is going away day by day. The question is, you're going to leave a legacy. The question is, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? What kind of legacy are you going to leave? I pray that my legacy, that my family, my wife, my boys, will know and understand that when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done and my life's come to an end and when I'm dead and gone, I pray that my family remembers me as a man that loved God and loved others completely. Let that be said of all of us. Mally's going to come up. We're going to have an invitation real quick. I want you to think about that. What kind of legacy are you leaving today? I'm going to ask Kenny, our pastor, to come up. He's going to stand up front. Maybe you have something on your heart and mind. Maybe you want to talk to him about what it means to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. I know it's raining outside. I know you're hungry. I hear stomachs growling. Your stomach's eating your backbone. I get it. I know. All right? Don't rob us of the blessing of sharing Christ with you. Don't rob yourself of missing out on a life-changing decision that will set your path on fire. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Most of all, God, thank you for your Son, Jesus. Who you have sent to die on the cross for our sins. God, I, I truly believe that a legacy without Jesus is a legacy that means absolutely nothing. For without you, God, we are nothing. God, I pray for hearts, lives, situations, circumstances right now. That, God, you would break down walls, you would break down barriers, you would break down fears and worries and doubts. And that, God, if there there's a heart, there's a life that is out of line, that is out of shape, and that is in need of repair, fixing, and renewed. God, may you have your way this morning. I pray that their emotions would so overwhelm them, God, that they can't do anything else but get it right this morning. Thank you for our students. Thank you for the legacy that this church has left and is leaving. May our students always remember where they come from. But God, more importantly, may they always remember whose they are. We love you this morning. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.